I have recently started back to school, and so I spent uh, last week, or about a week, in school, and so academics are fresh on my brain, and footnotes and things of that nature are fresh on my brain, and so I'm going to make a footnote before I even start, so you can go back and think about this later. This isn't really part of my sermon. Our sins there are many, his mercy is more. As you look at the life of Samson, uh, hopefully this week, maybe this afternoon, that you'll think of this passage as you consider Samson's life and your own life, that you'll remember that, that chorus, that refrain, that our sins there are many, but his mercy is more. That was just extra. That's not even part of the sermon. We're going to be in Judges today. Chapter, well, chapter 13 through 16. I'm going to highlight a couple verses. And then I'm going to paraphrase quite a bit. I'm going to kind of tell the story uh, in many ways of Samson's life uh, and, and hit the wave tops kind of. There's so much that's in there, uh, but I think those things are significant. As we look specifically in this series, as we're walking through the Bible, as we're looking at the story of God, uh, we, we often look at Bible passages, uh, stories, texts, Bible characters, and we look at them and we think, well, what can I learn about myself or about life from the way they've lived their life but but we're we're trying to be intentional as we go through this entire series as we go through all of the bible to look at the story of god in these passages and each one of these people and their lives that they live how do we see god at work at play what what story is god telling because there is one story that runs all the way through this thing and so we're going to continue looking at that today as we look at the life of samson uh, as we do so uh, in the book of judges let me give you this, and we're going to come back to it. God's purposes for your life are going to be accomplished. Now, you can participate in that through faithful obedience, or you can endure it through rebellion and hardness of heart. But God's purposes for your life are going to be accomplished. We'll see that in Samson's life today. And you can be sure of that, that God's purposes will be accomplished. Uh, for us, then, it's how do we respond to that? And so we're going to look at that with Samson. We've started in, in Genesis uh, before creation, looked at the creation narrative, Adam and Eve. We looked at the fall, the sin of man. We, we saw what sin did to humanity and all of creation, how it, how it, it ruptured the relationship that, that Adam and Eve and all humanity had with God. Uh, we looked at how, how God chose to save Noah and his family as he flooded the earth. And work through them. But there was this idea consistently as you look through Genesis that the people were always waiting on this promise. Because along with the fall of man came this promise from God that there would be a seed. And through that seed, that offspring, that he would, he would restore everything. And so they're always waiting on that, expecting that, anticipating that. Uh, and, and each generation comes a new name. And what we find quickly is that they're not it. They, don't, they can't meet that standard. So God floods the earth. We see uh, he chooses to save Noah and his family. And you think maybe this is it, but then pretty quickly we find out he's not going to be it. God works through Abraham and chooses now to work through one family to make his name known throughout all the land. And we saw that through, through Abraham, his son Isaac, Jacob, who becomes Israel. Uh, he has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And Joseph, we looked at his life extensively and as he travels into 
uh, Egypt, not necessarily on his own accord, but because he sold into slavery. But how God used that and how God was at work in, in those circumstances to raise up Joseph to, to, to save and deliver his family. What would become the nation of Israel from, from famine and, and all these things. And so they, they have a good life in Egypt. But it says 400 years have gone by and the Pharaoh doesn't know who these people are really. He doesn't have that relationship that the earlier Pharaohs did. And so, so he's, he's a little concerned because there's so many of them now. And so life has not got uh, very pleasant. We saw God work through uh, Moses and what he did to deliver the people from bondage and from oppression there and from slavery. As they've entered the promised land through Joshua, conquering these peoples and nations. But they didn't do it fully, right? Not everyone. God told them to clear everybody out of this promised land, but they didn't quite get there. And so now we're in the book of Judges. You think of the book of Judges, think really a period of time. Two things really. A period of time uh, in the history of Israel known as the Judges. And then when you think of Judges, these, these were Judges that uh, were not sitting in a courtroom. Uh, their primary reason for existence was to, to bring judgment or to deliver Israel from external factors. They weren't ju- judging internal things that were happening within the nation. God would appoint and raise these people up, men and women, to deliver Israel from, from external things. Generally, people that were oppressing them and uh, holding them in bondage. There's this theme that runs through Judges, this cycle. Uh, it says that you'll see it as you read through there. You may already know it. That the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So they sin, right? And God hands them over uh, to be ruled by these other nations. And they're treated horribly. And what do they do when they're treated horribly? They cry out to God, right? Because that's what we do. When life isn't going the way we want it, we cry out to God. And so God would appoint one of these judges. He would raise up a deliverer, a judge. He would deliver them from, from whoever these people were. And then there would be a period of peace, and life would go on, and then what would they do? Evil in the sight of the Lord. And the cycle continues. And so we've seen that already as we're working through the book of Judges. This is the last actual judge in this book, and it's the last part of Judges that we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at the life of Samson. They get progressively worse as you, look, as you study through it. Uh, and, and then the, the final chapters of Judges really... Uh, we, we see how the judges, the individuals themselves, uh, get worse. Um, and then the wrap-up in the book is how bad the nation is as a whole. And I think Samson really is a microcosm of what's happening within the whole nation as we look at this. So we're going to look at this. Um, remembering, thinking about this, God's purposes for your life are going to be accomplished. And we'll see that God's purposes for Samson's life were accomplished. Now, I've got to confess to you as we start, I am conflicted about this text. More so after our, our time of prayer. Maybe that'll be another footnote at the end. We'll come back to that. I've, <laughs> I don't know why I'm crying. I've, I've wrestled with this text this week for two weeks, really. I've preached it before, and I've been okay with it. Uh... To some degree. 
And I, I, know, I know all the right answers, all the theological answers, but I'm conflicted with this. Let me read this. See if I can quit crying. Judges chapter 13. I'm, I'm going to piece together just a couple small pieces from verses 3 and 5. 13 verses 3 and 5. And then Judges 13. Okay, this is kind of the, the end caps for the life of Samson. I just want to use this to set the stage. And then we're going to kind of come back. We're going to walk through his life. It says, behold, this is the angel of the Lord speaking. It says, behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. At the end of Samson's life, then we see this in 1630. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. The story of Samson is a, is a tragedy in the classic sense of what uh, tragic literature is. Now, uh, that term hadn't been coined. I think maybe it was Aristotle. I don't, I don't even know that, that kind of coined that term and that phrase as you look at literature, as you look at uh, plays, uh, fiction that's written. Uh, a tragedy in and of itself generally consists of a hero uh, who, who sits pretty high at some point, and then there's this descent of his life. And they usually end up uh, dead or alone uh, or both. And it's due to a tragic flaw that they have in their life. Now, this is history. This is a real event. This wasn't written to be tragedy. But his life uh, is tragedy in every sense of the word. Uh, Shakespeare really made this popular. Uh, believe it or not, at one point in my college career, I was going to be an English major. Uh, I'm from Kentucky. We struggle with English in general, but I was going to be an English major. I was double majoring. And, and one of my classes, I, I decided to double major because uh, I, I enjoyed the professor so much. Now, that's interesting because he'd already failed me twice, uh, but I'm going to double major in this. And I had to take an entire course on Shakespeare. That's all the course was. And you may or may not know this, but I'm not a big Shakespeare guy. It's like not my preference. But when you look at his writings, many of his writings were tragedy. I, I, I considered putting some quotes up and seeing if you could guess what they're from. Uh, I didn't feel like reciting, uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet or anything like that. Um, but you would recognize them. And the reason they're so compelling is because they elicit this, this emotion within you. Uh, it's a sense that it, it, it just never ends the way you want it to. And there's lessons that are learned from that. Uh, and you can, you can garner a sense of maybe uh, if the, the main character would have done this way or if he, if he would have resisted this particular flaw, then his life would have been different. And these are make-believe characters, but they elicit such emotion. And, and Samson, in many ways, is like that. His life is a tragedy. Not just tragic circumstances. We, we claim that many things are tragedies, sometimes uh, in silly ways. Uh, a favorite player on my team got traded. What a tragedy. Or there's legitimate things like school shootings that are tragedies. But in the classic sense of literature, Samson's life is a tragedy. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, and I hope that framing it that way even helps you to process what is happening in Samson's life. So we're going to hop back up to Judges 13, uh, verse 1. 
says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So there's that refrain. And the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So we see this over and over again. This is common as we work through Judges. Verse 2, There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, this is familiar language. We've seen this already multiple times as we, as we walked through Genesis, right? You have three of the four, uh, uh, three accounts already of the matriarchs of the nation of Israel. We have a similar thing. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, barren. Angel of the Lord comes to them. They're going to have a child. Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob with Rachel. And once again, we have a similar story of, of divine intervention. What seems inconceivable now is possible with God. So, not only is it a miracle that they're going to conceive a child, but this child has a very specific calling on his life before his birth. He's going to be devoted to God. You've got the word Nazarite there. You may be very familiar with the Nazarite vows. Uh, we won't hit it much. You can go to number six uh, if you want to look at that and study that. Basically, uh, it can be from birth or it can be a point in time in somebody's life. So uh, Dave could decide now he's going to, to make uh, a Nazarite vow, which I don't know if he can grow his hair out long enough for that anymore but he can choose to set uh, a certain time for the next 30 days or for this year he's he's going to be consecrated and devoted to the lord and so you stay away from unclean things you stay away from drink you don't cut your hair uh, things like that they're they're not crazy details but it's a very specific thing that this is happening and so uh, if you devote your child to this a nazarite vow that they are devoted to god and if you break that in some way then then you have to stop. There's rules and laws for how you go about that that we see in numbers, and, and you can resume that, or maybe that's just the end, and, and, and that's all that you do for that time being. So, But this is Samson. Samson has a very specific calling. The angel of the Lord, which through a series of events, the, the writer of Judges plays out the entire chapter. Chapter 13 is given to this scene. Uh, the angel of the Lord appears to the wife who's unnamed, uh, the, she goes and tells her husband. The husband says, well, tell him to come back. Ask for him to come back. He does. Uh, he says some real dumb things, as, as men do. Uh, he struggles to understand what's happening and what's going on. The angel of the Lord gives him the same instruction, doesn't give him any more, doesn't give him any less. You're going to have a son. Uh, he's going to be devoted to the Lord. You're going to follow these processes. And here it is. And eventually what they discover is that it's not an angel of the Lord in any way, but this is God. They're talking to God. And so God has come to them and said, hey, you're barren, but you're going to have a child, which is insane. And this child's going to have a very special purpose in life, a very specific purpose in life. And that purpose was to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, you can interpret that as something huge. You could interpret that as something kind of minor. What's your purpose in life? I'm just going to begin to save my people from the hand of the Philistines. I don't know what that looks like, but that's my purpose. God clearly identifies that. This is important. As we look at his life, it's going to be very, very important. 
So you go through that, that whole scene, that whole chapter, uh, and it ends this way in Judges 13, verses 24 and 25. It says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. Now the next three chapters are dedicated to really the exploits of Samson's life. And this is where the stories get get interesting. This is where they get kind of exciting. This is where uh, they get uh, kind of uh, fancy. Uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, people kind of romanticize some of these stories. Strength is uh, a trait, a characteristic that we appreciate in our society. I probably appreciate it in all societies. Nobody says, when I grow up, I want to be just the weakest, smallest person, like, especially boys, men. I hope I'm just weak and everybody's stronger than me. Nobody wants that, right? Everybody, they want to be strong. And so Samson has this incredible strength, as we're going to see. And, and this, is, this is something that seems to be exciting, but there's just this contradiction in it. So let's look at this. And again, we're going to hit these fast. And I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. So chapter 14 picks up with Samson traveling to a nearby town. And he sees one of the daughters of the Philistines. And uh, she's apparently good looking. She catches his eye. And so he goes to his parents. And he says, I want her. She's, she needs to be my wife. Get her for me. Uh, so that's kind of strange language. Now, we know that their customs were different at that time. And so maybe some of that was okay. But he's very demanding about this. Hey, she looks good. Matter of fact, here's what it says. It says, get her for me for she is right in my eyes. She's right in my eyes. The nation of Israel, all throughout Judges, they're doing what is evil in sight of the Lord, and they do what is right in their own eyes. As an entire nation, as an entire people group, here's Samson, the judge, the one appointed by God to deliver the people. As he chooses his wife, he says, get her for me. She's right in my eyes. And his father and mother, they don't know that it's from the Lord. Now, this is interesting. They don't know that this is from the Lord. It says, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at that time, or at that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So we have to remember Samson's purpose in every one of these accounts. His purpose was to begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Well, they're like, hey, you shouldn't be marrying somebody not a part of our people. Can we find you somebody else? Nope. She's the one I want. His response uh, really is just uh, sounds a lot like the overall problem in Israel. Uh, his whole reason for existence is to deliver his people from the hands of the Philistines. Yet the woman he identifies is right in his eyes as a Philistine daughter. Now, there's a phrase that's inserted in here uh, in three different places that make these stories, I think, so significant. Also, aside from the significance, this is where they bring a little bit of uncertainty, unsure of how to to unpack this. What does this mean? Because Samson's going to do some pretty wild things, but we're going to see that the spirit of the Lord is on him in these. So let's look at this three times. Samson 
uh, he's told his family that he wants this, this girl, this hot little Philistine girl. She, I want her to be my wife. So they're going to go arrange it. They do that. During that time, he kind of he steps away from his parents while they're traveling, which seems a little strange. And a lion rushes him, or a lion attacks him. And it says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he destroys this lion. But he doesn't tell his mother or father. Now, I don't know anybody that would kill a lion with their bare hands and wouldn't tell everybody. Like, that would be the first thing. Like, you won't believe this. This is, this is what happened. But it says, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I don't know. I've never done that either. I don't know exactly what that's like. But a lion versus a goat, that's going to be significant. But he did not tell his father or mother. So he just keeps it to himself, but he's had this experience where the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. He's got to understand and know at least to some degree that something just happened, something different. Like, I'm strong, but that was unique. There was something special about that moment. Now, a little while later, uh, they've traveled. Now they're coming back. He passes by. Uh, he gets some honey out of the carcass of this lion, gives it to his parents, uh, which is violating cleanliness laws. It's violating his vows and things like that. Uh, he doesn't tell them where he got it from. I mean, it's one just kind of gross, but it's, it's just another instance where he's doing things where he's not really considering anybody else or anything else. He's just considering himself. And so the marriage is arranged. They travel back. They have the wedding. And there's a large wedding party made up of Philistine men. I don't really know exactly why or how, but there's 30 of them. And Samson is there. And Samson's like this alpha male kind of character. That's how he's portrayed. Uh, Kind of a meathead, right? And so there's this wedding party. And he decides that he's going to make a a bet with them, a wager. He's like, if you can solve my riddle... I'll give you 30 garments. I'll give you seven days. If you can't, you owe me 30 garments. And they're like, okay, no problem. We can do that. Now, the thing is, is nobody knows the riddle because it's about Samson killing this lion. So nobody could possibly know this. He's, he's setting them up, right? Uh, he, he's, he's kind of playing them for a fool, except for they don't want to be the fool. And so they go and they talk to his new wife, uh, one of their people, and they say, you either find out the answer to this riddle or we're going to burn you in your father's house. Uh, they, I feel like they amped it up pretty fast, but that's the situation. And so what does she do? I don't want to be burned. I don't want my father's household to be burned. I'll figure out the answer to the riddle. He'll give them 30 garments. We'll go on about our life. No big deal. Well, that's not how it plays out. She gets it. She tells them. They solve it. He's furious, just outraged uh, in, in a fight breaks out essentially and he goes and destroys 30 men takes their garments and gives them to the people that he owes them now that's pretty ridiculous it's pretty childish but that's what took place it says and the spirit of the lord this is why it's unique and the spirit of the lord rushed upon him and he went down to ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So he loses his mind. He goes and beats up 30 dudes, takes their garments, gives it to these other dudes that he made a stupid bet with, and now he's still mad, and so he just leaves. He's just got married in this town, and he leaves. You've 
probably read or heard stories of wild things happening at, at weddings or, or, or things coming out, but I can't imagine how upset Dieter would have been if, if I'd have gotten mad over something stupid on the night that we got married and I just took off and went out of town. No call, no nothing, and she's just sitting there. That's what Samson just did. So if we put it in that kind of a context, he just took off. So he's gone, and so the father of the bride gives her to somebody else, gives her to the best man. I thought you didn't love her. So he leaves, an outburst of anger, and eventually he cools off, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go back, and I'm, I'm going to go be with my wife. And so he goes back, and he finds out that she's been given to somebody else. So how do you think he responds to that? He's calm, cool, collected? No. He's, he's furious again, right? So this time, he thinks he's actually right. He says, this time I'll be innocent in my dealings with the Philistines, which is absurd. So he gets 300 foxes. This is just strange. 300 foxes. He ties their tails together in pairs, and he puts a torch in between that, and he lets them loose in all the grain fields. Now, I'm not, I'm not an animal rights activist. Actually, my wife would say I'm pretty cold towards animals. But can you imagine gathering foxes and tying their tails together and sticking torches in there and then just letting them go? It's wild. And he, and he does this. This is a response just, just in anger. He just responds this way uh, out of harshness. He, he feels betrayed or he feels uh, like they've done him wrong in some way. And it's, it's one tragic event after another in his life. And then one last time, we see this. They're, they're upset. Can you imagine all your crops burned, everything? And you're like, who did it? Samson, the big dude over there, this guy. Like, this guy is constantly causing us problems. Now, what's his purpose? His purpose is to begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Is he intentionally doing that? No. Not in the slightest but is it happening it is it's happening god god is wildly at work in all of this so let's look at another passage so they're they're looking for him right the philistines are they're they're furious and so samson gets in another fight and then he goes and he hides out and he's hiding out uh, and the Philistines go look for him. They come to Lehi town in uh, the tribe of Judah. And they're like, hey, we're Samson. We want him. As a matter of fact, they, they raid the town. It's not, it's not quite that nice and kind and compassionate. And they're like, what are you doing here? Why are you causing us problems? We want Samson. We're like, okay, we'll give him to you. Now, this is their judge. This is the guy that's been appointed by God to be their judge, the one that's going to deliver them. And they're like, yeah, you can have him. We don't, we, I don't know why he's causing you guys problems. Now, this is a big deal. God wanted Israel to be separate and distinct from everybody else in the land. He told them, he commanded them to clear them out, but they didn't do it. Because he knew that eventually they would do things like intermarry. And they would begin to worship their gods. And so at this point, the Philistines are ruling over Israel. And the people of Israel are pretty cool with it. They're like, ah, you know what, that's alright. It's not really that big a deal. And matter of fact, we'll give you Samson. The guy's kind of a jerk anyway. And so they go and talk to Samson. They're like, hey, here's what's going on. Uh, we're going to take you back. He's like, just don't kill me. No problem. So they tie him up, take him back. Uh, and here it happens again. 
When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became his flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, this is great poetry, by the way, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. Not quite Shakespeare, but close. He's proud of this. And as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone of the up out of his hand and that place was called ramath lehi and he was very thirsty and he called upon the lord and said you've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant and shall i now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised and god split open the hollow place that is at lehi and water came out from it and when he drank his spirit returned and he revived therefore the name of it was called in hakor it is at lehi to this day and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. He kills a thousand of the Philistines for his own personal reasons. But again, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Everybody wants to overpower Samson. Samson wants to overpower everybody else. And it brings you really to the final, probably the most common uh, other name that's associated with Samson is Samson and Delilah. Samson leaves town again. He goes to Gaza, finds himself a prostitute. Uh, they set another trap for him. He know, has another display of strength, physical strength. Uh, he escapes that trap. And then he finds another woman, Delilah, and he goes in and he sleeps with her. And the Philistines come and they find out that he's there. And they're like, hey, we've got to figure this out. What is the source of his strength? What causes him to be so strong? You've got to find this out for us. Or it's not going to be good for you either. And so she works to do that. In chapter 16, uh, as you look at that, much of that is Samson and Delilah going back and forth. She's trying to figure out the source of his strength. They want to know the source of his strength because they want to overpower him. Nobody can do this on their own. This man is too strong. There's something with this man. Uh, aside from the times where the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, I just imagine that... Samson had this presence about him, a physical presence that the people were like, you know what, I, I just, I don't, I don't need to mess with that guy. And he's, he's shown in these instances when the Lord comes upon him that his strength is incredible, that, that he's able to uh, destroy, kill a thousand Philistine men, people who are oppressing God's people. And so we've got to figure out how to overpower him. And so they go back and forth, Delilah's. Uh, just pleading with him, begging, and she's laying guilt trips on him, and, and he's lying to her, and it's this or it's that, and, and this goes on, and finally he breaks. He says, all right, here's the source of my strength. And, you know, as you read through this, you, you might be tempted to think he's going to say it's the spirit of the Lord that rushes upon me in these moments. But that's not what he says, right? You guys know what it is. What is it? What is it? What's the source of his strength? It's his hair. That's what Samson says. It's my hair. That's what he believes. So he tells her. He goes to sleep. Delilah brings in the Philistines. They bind him. They shave his head. He wakes up. And he says, I'll do as I've always done. I'll get out. I'll escape. And I'll get myself out of the situation. Except for it says, he didn't know that the Lord had left him. 
He didn't know that the Lord had left him. So he tries and he can't. He tries to escape. He tries to do what he's always done to, to overcome the situation, to overpower everyone else, to, to prove his, his dominance or his strength or to right his wrong or to, to pursue whatever it is that he's after. And he, he just can't do it no more. Physically is unable. His strength is gone. Now I want to read a, a decent sized section here at the end of chapter 16. It's Judges chapter 16. Uh, I'm going to begin in verse 23. It says, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead, when he whom he killed at his death, were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down, took him and brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. Samson is disrespectful of his parents. Uh, he really doesn't care about his calling. He's callous towards this vow that it's made, has been made for him. He has no loyalty to his people. He's the judge, right? He's the one that's been appointed and set for this. And he has no concern for them whatsoever. He's, at a minimum, rude. Uh, he speaks not kindly to his wife generally treats women pretty poorly. Deidre and I were talking about this. I skipped it, go back and read it. But he, he responds at one point and he says, you wouldn't have even known the answer to that if you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer. Deidre would like it if that's how I referred to her. But this is how he, he talks and treats people. He's, he's flippant. He's driven by, by anger and lust. All he wants is what's going to satisfy him. He pursues nothing else. The only way in which any good, the only way that any good can come from this man is if Yahweh overpowers him. That's it. That if, if God, if Yahweh overpowers him with his spirit, 
and drives him to the task of delivering his people, which he is absolutely not inclined to do on his own. He's just not going to do it. The Philistines wanted to know how to overpower him. Virtually everybody and everything wanted to overpower Samson. But because of his, his great strength, his physical strength, no one was, was capable. Samson wasn't able, able to overcome and overpower himself to accomplish what the Lord wanted him to accomplish, to pursue what the Lord had set before him. But God, the maker of heaven and earth, the all-powerful triune God, is able to overpower Samson. And he's able to overpower Samson, and he's able to accomplish what he said was going to be accomplished. That Samson would indeed begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, not in any moment did Samson pursue this. But, but God cared enough, not just about... Uh, these purposes aren't that, that Samson would be well-known, that he would have a good name, that he would be a good leader, that he would be a good judge. His, his purposes are for the people of Israel, his people, his chosen people. And he's, he's going to accomplish that because he loves them. They're his. And there's nothing Samson can do to stop that. In his selfishness, in his ignorance, in his sin, there's nothing that he can do to thwart what God is going to accomplish in his life. God's going to accomplish his purposes. Imagine if Samson would have pursued relentlessly with the same passion that he pursued everything else, the purpose that God had laid before him. Imagine how much greater these stories might have been. I mean, they're pretty fanciful stories. But instead, Samson pursuing God to, to, to bring about deliverance for his people. They would have been so much better. That's why the life of Samson in so many ways is a, is a tragedy. We're going to sing one last song today. And I'm going to ask you to stand um, as we close. And I'm going to ask you, uh, as you're standing, even to, to bow your head and to close your eyes. Uh, and go ahead. You guys can stand now as we sing. Prepare to sing. And I, I want you to, for just a minute with your, your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to, to just briefly, for a moment, I want you to take stock of your life. Not your whole life. Maybe the recent past. Where you're at today. And, and where you think maybe the future's going. And I want you to consider the life of Samson. One tragic event after another. But how would his life have looked differently if he would have pursued God's purposes? And I want you to ask yourself the same question. How would your life look differently now if you were to pursue God's purpose for your life. What changes? How does it look different? What are the, what are the impacts of that? As a result of, of their own sin, the people of Israel continually found themselves 
under the rule and oppression of foreign nations. And God graciously, time and time again, provided for his people a deliverer. Yet none of those were fully able to save. You might feel like even in your own life that you feel like you're under the the weight, the oppression of sin. The good news is, is that God has graciously provided for us a deliverer. One who conquered sin and death. Through his own son, God has, has provided a way of salvation for you and for me. Jesus' death on the cross paid the full penalty of our sin, past, present, and future. And the Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That Christ died once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we might have eternal life. Maybe you just need to surrender your life to the Lord today. Maybe that's the first step that needs to happen. For those of you that, that already profess Christ, that are followers of Jesus, maybe it's just to, to do a, a reflection, to take stock of where you're at and what the Lord wants to do. Maybe you don't, you don't know what the purpose is, what God's purposes are for your life. Maybe it's just identifying that. Let me pray. Father, Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the life of Samson. God, thank you that, that all the people and all the stories that we read in your word, that, that they're not about any of those people, but they're all about you. God, thank you for your graciousness, your continued mercy. Lord, help us to to know your purpose for our life. And Father, I pray that we would pursue that with all our efforts. God, we pray for Khalil this morning. Again, as a man who Who knows you as a man who, who knew your purpose for his life and has pursued that regardless of the cost. God, may we be like that. May we live that way. In Jesus' name we pray.